You're listening to Positivity Strategist. Welcome to our third season, where I'll be focusing on leaders and leading in an appreciative and positive way across a range of industries and professions. What does it mean? How do they do it? What results do they achieve for their people, their organizations, and their own careers? How do they inspire? I'm Robin Stratton Burkessel. I'm the host of the show. And I just want to say at the outset, I so appreciate that you listen to this podcast because it has good content. I do this podcast to shine the light on people who are doing good work in the world. And I want to hear their stories and be a conduit so you get to hear their good stories and be inspired by their innovations and contributions that are helping to transform our planet to one of flourishing. And in this season, my focus is on the topic of appreciative leading. So I've been reaching out to those who I know are doing just that across a wide spectrum of professions and organizations and industries. And so here's an invitation. If you know someone who's an example of appreciative leading, please feel free to contact me. And so for today's episode, I'm very excited about my guest, Julie Reiter, because she is an example of appreciative leading, actively leading in an appreciative way. Julie, I welcome you and I thank you for being a guest on the show today. Thank you, Robin. It's, uh, it's certainly a great pleasure to uh, be part of your program. Before I introduce Julie... I remind you that you'll find links to connect to Julie and other resources on the show notes page for this episode, and that's positivitystrategist.com slash PS108. Now it gives me great pleasure to introduce Julie and her organization, Clark. Julie Reiter is Vice President of Human Resources and Sustainable Development for Clark, Now, Clark is a global environmental products and services company based in St. Charles, Illinois. And of course, you know, it takes research and science and investment and technologies to keep our waterways clean and healthy. And it takes research and science and investment and technologies to control mosquito populations and the diseases they spread. Well, that's Clark's business. They are making our planet cleaner and healthier. Now, Julie's been with Clark for 18 years, and in that time, she's successfully established a broadly functioning human resources department, including guiding organization development. And seven years ago, Julie's role with Clark expanded to include sustainable development. She's been recognized as an architect and leader of the Project Greater Purpose which is Clark's strategic initiative that established the organizational structure and ongoing processes to establish, now hear this carefully, to establish sustainability as a lens through which all decisions are made and to guide the evolution of the organization to a more flourishing enterprise. Julie, would you like to say more about that evolution? Wow, thank you, It's Robin. a great story. Thank you. <laughs> you know, it, it really is. And if, and if you wouldn't mind, I'd like to do a little backcast on that uh, because it's, it's really a, a, a pretty profound uh, story in terms of a story of transformation and, and in terms of backcast. So the company is a mid-sized family-owned company, been in business since 1946, 
focusing again in, in two primary areas of public health, mosquito control and aquatic habitat management. I joined the company in 2000. And during at the time that I joined the company, and probably for most of the organization's history, uh, the, the organization would be described as pretty scrappy, uh, pretty old school in terms of conservative, not terribly innovative, um, pretty traditional paradigms uh, in terms of how it managed both its employees, but also um, managed strategy. So, so very much of an organization that I would paint in in varying hues of gray. Uh, so we had about 150 employees. In 2008, uh, our president, Dr. Lyle Clark, who's third generation Clark in the mosquito control business, he brought his leadership team together. And, it, and we really didn't understand what was happening, but there was something there was something going on, and 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 we were hint, and we got a hint of this uh, in a memo that we got from his executive assistant. We were all preparing for our annual strategy planning session, and we got, and we were heading up um, to Galena, Illinois, to a, a resort that we would normally go to to do our work. And we received an email from her, his assistant saying, "Before you leave, you need to stop and make sure that you pack a bathing suit and pack flip flops." <laughs> and and this was really out of the ordinary because you know we were not in the habit of playing when we went to our strategy sessions. They typically were all work and they were um, dust to dawn or dawn to dust type uh, days. Mm-hmm. And so in the middle of this uh, strategy event, we we walked into a meeting room and the chairs were set up in kind of a semicircle around um, around Lyle. And Lyle, who was really a very reserved person, started to talk to us. And he talked to us in a way that was, was much different than he had previously. He talked a little bit about um, kind of his own sense of frustration with the conservative nature of our industry in terms of how slow it was to change. He talked about a new product that we had uh, coming through our product development pipeline that uh, was highly innovative and really was potentially a game changer for the mosquito control uh, industry. And then he began to talk about his growing sense of responsibility, recognizing that he was leading a company that, for all intents and purposes, is a pesticide company with all of the bad reputation um, that that carries. And so he talked about this sense of responsibility for the work that we're doing, both the true value of it in terms of helping to save lives and improve the health of of inland waterways, Um, but this concern about perceptions in the marketplace, how people viewed pesticides and, and pesticide applications, and how we were often seen as being in an adversarial role uh, with environmental groups. Mm-hmm. And he, he, so he began to, he began to gesture and, and this gesturing was his hands in front of him and, and they kept going, coming together and, and, and opening up. And he said to us, um, effectively, he said, I don't know what it looks like and I don't know where it's going to take us, but I would like to invite you to join me in figuring this out in figuring out how maybe it's, it's green but it's bigger than that. 
Um, sustainability is a word I'm beginning to understand. And so he started to talk about this. And then he told us this story. And, and if, you, if you don't mind, I'd like to share this story with you. I'd love you to. He told us this story. He had, he had recently adopted a baby boy from, uh, he, he was adopted from Russia. And, and, and Lyle and his, and his wife had had three biologic, biological children. They both, they all were grown and out of the house. And at this time in their life, when um, they should be empty nesters, they make the decision to adopt. And they adopted Joe. And they spent a long time in this process. Joe is, has been raised in an orphanage in Russia. It was a very spare environment. And, and Joe was very, very small when they met him. He wasn't on any of the growth charts. They adopted him. They brought him home. They surrounded him with the love of the Clark family and introduced him to good health care and good diet and, and just all of the things that the company had or that the, that the family had to offer. And Joe thrived. He just immediately began to flourish. And, and we didn't, we weren't even using that word then, but that, but when we tell that, when we think back, that's what was going on is he was thriving and he was flourishing. And he told, and Lyle tells a story about the first time he took Joe, who's just a toddler down to the local pool and they're walking hand in hand at the side of the pool. And Joe, who is full of energy, breaks free from his dad's hands and he jumps, he runs down to the edge of the uh, deep end of the pool and he jumps in. And, and Lyle sh- is sharing the story with us, and he said his heart stopped, and he didn't know what to do. And he's caught between the space of fascination for what's happening and, and terror. Um, and he said it seemed like forever, and it was probably just six seconds or, um, that, that Joe was under the water. But what happened next is Joe, Joe broke the surface of the water, and he looked at his dad, and, and Lyle tells us this story, and he, and he, and he begins to cry. He tells a story about the look on Joe's eyes and the and the just the energy and this enthusiasm and this uh, passion for this experience. And to to Lyle, the look said, "That was amazing, Dad. What's mm-hmm. next?" And Lyle and Lyle turns to us, and he said, "That's what I want for us. Is I want that enthusiasm and I want that sense of." This is amazing. What's next? And so he very literally, and we're all in our bathing suits because we've been told to, to come to this meeting in bathing suits. He said, I, I would like you to join me and come down to the pool. And I'd like you to jump into that deep end with me. And quite, and quite literally, we all get together, we gather up our stuff, and we march down to the resort pool and we all jumped into the deep end. And, and we played and we had fun and we giggled. And at that moment, that was like the, the first moment where everything began to change for us. Mm. Yeah. So, uh, so I, and I thank you for indulging me in that story because it was, it, as we look back at it, it was such a, it was such an important metaphor um, and a metaphor that continues to endure mm. for the organization. Yeah. That's very powerful. Oh, thank you for that. Um, that was a that was a pivotal moment. It was. Yes. Yeah, yeah. 
We often need those, right, to set a new direction. Well, and, and often at the moment, you may not necessarily, as a member of the audience, I think for Lyle, perhaps it was some, um, I, I suspect it was with some pretty deliberate intention and design. Uh, for us, though, I think it, it, it wasn't until quite a while later as we started on this journey and the various um, places that the journey took us that we really understood that that was a pivot point moment. Mm. 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 So, Julie, you tell that story so well, and it's so moving. What happened next? Well, that you know, we, we <laughs> so we, so we worked together. There was a lot of things that happened. So, so I, I, I'm I'm going to pass over some of the details just in the interest <laughs> of time. Um, but one of the first things we did, and this was about 2008, we brought all the employees together and we began to explore what sustainability meant and began to explore what change meant and why change mattered. And, and we really, when we look back at it, we, we held an, an all-employee event. We brought everybody together. We had some great speakers come in. And in fact, some of the people who ultimately um, really were some of the really great thought leaders that led us ultimately down the path of appreciative inquiry. So Chris Laszlo, who who wrote you know a variety of books, including Sustainable Value, and ultimately mm-hmm. you know, uh, contributing to the Flourishing Enterprise, and Andrew Winston, um, who's just a great thought leader around sustainability. We brought all the employees together and we began to explore this. And so in 2008, that was really a pivot, uh, pivotal moment. The next few years, we began to explore our brand identity and and began to work on sustainability efforts and setting sustainability goals. And so the first few years were kind of formational. We tried stuff. uh, We made some progress. But at the same time, there was a point where um, our progress was stalling out. And, and we were really having a hard time figuring out how we could move from, as, as, as we learned from Chris, Chris Laszlo, from this idea that sustainability was a bolt-on extracurricular endeavor uh, to sustainability as the lens through which we would make business decisions. And, right. and that's what brought us, I, I think, ultimately to appreciative inquiry. Right. And, and that as a... Um, as one of the essential ingredients for propelling our transformation. Right. And your aspiration for bringing AI into the organization was to accomplish what? Well, um, you know, first I, I, I want to share a little bit about how we were introduced to it because I think this matters. And, and that was um, through some of our work with Case Western Reserve University in Ohio, um, we had the opportunity to meet Dr. David Cooperwriter, and Lyle first was very fortunate to be invited to a full-scale summit at Gojo Industries. And then he and I both were invited to participate in a full-scale summit at Fairmont Minerals, now mm-hmm. Fairmont Central. Mm-hmm. And, and that's one of the really beautiful things about appreciative inquiry as, as, a, as a movement and that is um, this sense of community and this desire to uh, pay it forward and um, expose other people to it. And so just like, you know, you, you invite that when you're talking about appreciative leadership, um, that it's one of the really great things about um, appreciative leadership is this desire to share it, that it's, it's, it's a community of, of leadership. 
Another thing you highlight when you talk about participating in those other summits is that I have this view that appreciative inquiry is something you need to experience to really understand the full power and impact um, Very it can much have. So. Yes. Um, just talking about it abstractly. Um, I mean, I, I can tell you all sorts of stories, but I think it's something, I mean, I say you can't sell it, you have to experience it. So I'm glad you bring that up. Mm-hmm. I think it's a significant piece. And it's something that we have maintained. So for every summit that we have, we generally um, seek out people who we believe might be interested in or might benefit from the experience uh, with that notion of it's one thing to learn about it and talk about it. it's another thing i mean when you experience it then it everything snaps into place and you see the real power of it mm-hmm. um so back to your question we so so in 2011 we began planning for our first full-scale summit and the objective for that full that first summit was really to le- you know leverage our strengths to accelerate our sustainability efforts and to really move from this being a handful of people working on a, on a few committees to a program that um, really was embedded into the organization. And so in February 2012, we held our first full-scale summit and it was, it was just an amazing, amazing experience. And the energy in the room uh, the enthusiasm, the things we talked about, the things we explored. And we identified 10 areas of opportunity that mm-hmm. um, would move the needle in terms mm-hmm. of um, traditional sustainability things, in terms of carbon footprint and, um, and waste and um, kind of the things that you would expect to see in a sustainability effort, and then expanding it really beyond that to culture seeking uh, extraordinary health and happiness within the organization and social responsibility. And so it was a really powerful, powerful um, mm-hmm. event that was just that was just magical. Yeah. Yes. Um, so two th- two questions come up for me. One is, what was the affirmative topic of, can you remember the affirmative topic of that first Appreciative Inquiry Summit where you were seeking to leverage the existing strengths and then come up with amazing 10 opportunities right. that you would never do in a year and you did it in two and a half days, right? <laughs> right. Uh, well, our summit, and often when you're designing a summit, your early work in the process is kind of a pre-summit where you're uh, you're you're deploying a lot of the appreciative inquiry method in a smaller setting uh, to articulate um, kind of your objective and your task of the summit. And our task of the summit was to accelerate a sustainable Clark, and oh, okay. um, and that was the overarching um, task. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, subtasks around that in terms of kind of ensuring um, a shared future. And, mm-hmm. and so sustainability as a way to, you know, for us to leverage what we'd already been doing and, and, and bring in and, and accelerate it, uh, but also create the sense of community in, in what we were trying to do. 
Beautiful. And so my second question was around community. Mm-hmm. Did you bring external stakeholders into that? We did. And that's and that was really one of the fun, uh, really fun things about Appreciative Inquiry is we were a little nervous uh, initially because, again, sure. our paradigm was <laughs> that we often took an adversarial role or protectionist type role with our business. And this first summit um, and the design, you know, the, the whole approach of, of summit is to invite the whole system in. And mm-hmm. so all of our employees um, from all over the world, and, and we have a handful of people internationally. And, and so that was about 150 people. And then we added to that key suppliers and business partners and uh, some thought leaders and customers and people that, um, you know, that was to make sure that we had all of the voices in the room. Mm-hmm. Um, at that first summit, we, we, we invited, we even invited um, some folks from regulatory agencies. They didn't participate. But, but the discussion around the idea of inviting uh, regulators into the room um, was just fascinating. Mm-hmm. And and moving from being very hesitant to that to ultimately in subsequent summits to being very enthusiastic about the idea of opening up the conversation to include people that maybe sometimes that those might be difficult conversations to have uh, with with regulatory agencies. So yes, yeah, so we we really uh, embrace this idea of the whole system mm-hmm. and and had a really diverse group of, of people at that first summit and, and subsequent summits as well. Well, you welcome the whole. Good job. Yeah. So, Julie, I know one of your innovations and what I think what speaks to your appreciative leading is that you recognize it's the post work yeah. that, you know, you wrote a piece about, um, and the name, it's about making AI stick. Mm -hmm. Was that the title of it? Yes. And it's very practical. It's very (laughs) helpful. I, you, I, I, I share it widely with my students and clients as well. And so I'd love you to just to talk a little bit about your thinking Mm -hmm. and what was the growth or the, the evolution of coming up with that particular document, how to make AI stick. Because as we know, and you alluded to it earlier, that often the challenge is that people get very excited about all these initiatives and opportunities and all this great momentum is started and then people can go back to work as usual and business as usual gets in the way and it can kind of dissipate and wane. So, you know, you, you've been able to maintain this. So I'd love you to say what you can about that, that experience and what you're doing. Sure. And I think that was really um, on our minds as we were planning the summit that we'd all most of us in, in the room and in the group had had some experience in our prior life where we worked for an organization that introduced a, or invited people to this kind of rally of morale building and team building and then to, you know, with, without any real outcome and this kind of sense of, oh yeah, we did that once. And so we were very sensitive and mindful of that. And at the same time, and, and, and being totally honest, quite frankly, I was so overwhelmed with the planning of the summit itself that I, I really couldn't get my head around what it would look like post-summit. And, mm-hmm. But I know myself, and I, knew, and I know that 
Um, I'm pretty nimble when it comes to things like that. And so to some degree, uh, I gave myself permission to not think too far in advance and at the same time keep in the back of our mind that, it, that following the summit, then that, you know, the real work would begin in terms of what do we do with it. Um, and I remember a moment at the end of our first summit, you know, we've been at this for two and a half days, we're exhausted, uh, we're both, you know, just ex- exhausted in that, in that incredibly positive way that you've done something really amazing. And Lyle turned to me, and I think he actually had the um, microphone in his hand at, the, at that moment, and he said, and, and Julie will now explain what we're going to do next. And, <laughs> and I had to admit that I, I really had no idea. But I said to him, I said, you know, trust me, uh, give me two weeks. Let me just, you know, let me just walk away from this and get some perspective. And, and that's what we did. So um, over the next two weeks post-summit, knowing that this was absolutely critical, we designed kind of a, what, what I thought was a fairly simple and straightforward approach. And, and you know, maybe that's the thing with, with, um, with good process is it really doesn't need to be terribly complicated. Um, it just has to be something that you can commit to and is easily deployed. And so the, it, what we did was we set up a multi-pronged apl- approach to make sure that we had good structure in place in terms of roles and responsibilities um, that included leadership for various initiatives, executive sponsors and counsel and kind of mentors for those leaders. So that was really important that er- that we knew who was going to do what and everybody knew what their role was. Right. We set up. We had a communication strategy in terms of within the first two weeks, within the first 30 days, 90 days, and so on, to make sure that we kept the conversation going. Um, and that was both internally as well as to our external participants mm-hmm. to, to keep, keep it alive um, and, and keep the conversation going. And then we set up a series of events, uh, and which has now become a standard approach for us for any post-summit work. Um, The series of events was a series of council-like meetings where the leaders for these various initiatives would come and make presentations on their progress. And then as a group, we would provide feedback, direction, and decision-making in terms of what the priorities were, what you know, what made the cut, what didn't make the cut, what we were going to pursue, what we weren't going to pursue. And after each one of those meetings, we would send out a company-wide communication saying, mm-hmm. here's, what we, here's where we're at, here's what we're working on. And mm-hmm. um, it was a little clumsy at first because we'd never been through this. Ultimately, this has become embedded in our organizational structure. We now have, from our main summit and sustainability efforts, we have a flourishing leadership council, which is our second generation of our first sustainability advisory board. So the flourishing leadership council is made up of key leadership, as well as the leaders of various initiatives, um, especially coming out of our summits. The council mm-hmm. meets three times a year. At each meeting, we have these their day-long events, and um, there's and each group presents on their progress. And then in the November meeting every year, we conduct it as a town hall event mm-hmm. where it's held um, at one of our locations with webinar 
uh, fee to all other all other locations, and everybody on that day is allowed to is is invited to serve as a member of the council, and to mm-hmm. provide to ask questions, to provide feedback, to offer up additional ideas, and and so the, these the the things that we start working on at the summit they stay alive, and they yes. and 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 they continue to grow and plant seeds mm-hmm. for additional ideas. And, and so now it's become just a part. This is how we work. This is That's how, wonderful. And, 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 and these ideas feed into operating plans. They feed into strategy. So it, it, the, the impact of it is so much greater than I think any of us ever imagined. Yeah. So you're sustaining the impact of it um, in your initiative. That's fantastic. Yeah. So can you give me any examples of what you – what puts a smile on your face maybe when you're walking around and you know that it is being embedded and it is part of the modus operandi now. Well, you know, what's the evidence that you're seeing in the workplace or in the community? Yeah. You know, that's, um, that's almost hard to capture because <laughs> it is, and I, and I was thinking about that, anticipating that question because it's so, it's so pervasive. <clears throat> so mm-hmm. if well, we want right. to, you know, so I can, I can. Hit so up. you can't isolate anything. really. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I can, I think, I think, you know, there's certain things and, and particularly out of that first summit in terms of the progress that we made in our sustainability efforts, um, in achieving 80% recycle rate on our waste and reducing mm-hmm. our, our waste stream by 64% in the first four years, um, to the amount of energy that we're generating from on-site renewable solar production. Yeah, I was thinking um, that's fantastic and congratulations on all of that to everybody. But I was thinking of some of those little, you know, human-to-human relational things that you might be hearing, overhearing or seeing, you know, like conversations people are having or the approaches people are taking that is indicative to you that, you know, people are actually... Mm -hmm doing things a little differently. And that's, and that's where I say it. it's, it's almost difficult to capture. It is, mm. it is everywhere. So, mm-hmm. you know, where once we were um, shades of gray, <laughs> there mm-hmm. is so much color and vibrancy mm-hmm. to the organization today. There's so, such a profound sense of creativity and innovation and engagement. And it's, and it's all over the place. And, mm-hmm. and in fact, one of the things we saw, which was, which was that moment, you know, those sticking points that you have, mm-hmm. we did a second summit in 2016. <clears throat> and in that summit, we began to use this phrase, and, and, and we didn't create it. Um, I'm not sure where it came from, but certainly the folks at the design studio, IDEO, um, mm-hmm. are known for it. But this phrase of how might we? Mm. And, and so we began to, we began to use that phrase in our summit since 2016 and in, and in that next year, what we started to realize in a very organic way without mandating that this is, that we're going to start doing these things. We started to hear stories about groups doing, and and I'm going to, in quotes, doing a, how might we? (laughs) <laughs> and so the group, um, the one great example was within our product innovation group, they were struggling because they'd had a product that was, they were preparing to launch and they ran a field trial on, and it, fa- and it failed. Mm-hmm. 
And the team was devastated because we were on a deadline. And, you know, there's that moment of kind of, what are we going to do? What's happened? Why did this happen? And, and that tendency to want to revert back into kind of an old way of approaching things in terms of, you know, problem solving. And, and the group shifted their energy in that meeting. Somebody in the group said, okay, how might we, how might we redesign this product, get it tested and still make our launch date? And the, group, and, the, and the team spent the next hour <laughs> brainstorming on that. And ultimately, that's what they did. That's fantastic. And, and, we, and as I said, we started to hear that over and over and over mm. again in a very organic way. And that's when we knew that appreciative inquiry and the appreciative methodology was not an event per se, only. Nice. It, was, it was now who we were and how we were doing business. Julie, that is a beautiful way to close off our conversation. <laughs> I think that's fantastic. It, it really, it really <laughs> magical, really magical. Yeah. Well, I think you've helped us really understand how the transformation of your organization, how appreciative inquiries helped and what appreciative leading can lead to. And particularly when you walk around the place and you hear people having these little conversations, modeling, you know, some of the stuff like how might we redesign this. So thank you, Julie, very much um, for being part of this appreciative leading season. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for allowing me the opportunity to share the story because it really is quite, quite amazing. Absolutely, Julie. If you have questions or ideas that you'd like to hear discussed on upcoming episodes and possibly participate in our show, go to positivitystrategist.com forward slash podcast where you can submit your ideas or leave me a voicemail. I will respond. And also, if you appreciate this show, I'd love you to share that by leaving a review on iTunes or Stitcher. Also, you can be notified of new episodes by email. Links to all these suggestions are available on positivitystrategist.com forward slash podcast. Thank you for listening and remember what you focus on grows. So grow towards your best.